Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The world of football. Hitting the back of the net every week on Extra Time. It's just gone 8 o'clock here on SENZ, the World of Football with Ricardo Ball Wednesday night. And joining us to talk the National League, which gets underway this weekend. Just uh, waiting on the final fixture list to come through. We know the teams. Chris Milicic, who is the head coach at Takapuna, joins us. Uh, G'day, Chris. How are you doing? Good, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Uh, And a, a new competition in that, I guess, teams are here on merit rather than the franchise-based system we've had uh, previously. I see the positives in this, but I also know there have been a few dissenting voices. Uh, they don't know that this is necessarily going to be the best way forward. Where, where do you sit on it? Uh, look, it's been no surprise for a lot of people that um, I, I prefer it when you have a, a stable entity going in and you've got the best players in the country playing the best players available. Uh, currently, you'd say that there's players in most other teams that have not made the National League that have got National League quality players, and many of the players that are about to play in this competition wouldn't be in the top echelon of players for for a National League. But it is the, it is the situation and the uh, way they want to go forward. So the thing now is to make the best of it. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got we see some familiar faces there, of course. Um, the Wellington Phoenix Reserve Team are there. Auckland City are there. There's a few new faces, well, a few new entities, and I guess you know, in Christchurch United, that's effectively the best players in the Canterbury region as well. I, I caught up with Noah Billingsley today. He's on their books now. He's a guy that could be playing pro uh, somewhere. But uh, in terms of the overall spread of talent, what do you make of it? Look, I think when you end up with a regional qualification, um, you're always going to get a decent spread across the country. I, I personally am pleased that Melville and both Hawke's Bay are in there uh, because both Hawke's Bay and Hamilton have always been in the National League um, recent times. So it's really pleasing to see that they've they've got themselves in there. So, um, look, I think across the country, you'd have to say it's fairly, it's fairly broad. Two teams out of Wellington, Wellington Phoenix, and then you've got one from Christchurch and uh, one from the, um, one from deeper south. Yeah, indeed. So the spread, the geographical spread, is about right. I guess the the, the million dollar question is: Can anybody upset Auckland City? I, I talked to Cam House today, and he said by the time that this competition's finished, he will have either, he will have either had been, you know basically from pre season to this competition finishing, it'll be nearly twelve months. So a long season for those guys. They've played a lot of games. They've won the OFC. They have won the Chatham Cup. They've won Northern Prem. Um, do you see fatigue being a factor in this league? Uh, it's only nine games, and it's it is what it is. And uh, the one thing that'll be different now, uh, 
both Christchurch and Dunedin teams will be travelling quite a lot, whereas the Auckland teams will have three games in the region. Hamilton, I mean, Wellington teams have three games in the region. So the travel factor won't be as much. Uh, you're still getting your... Because the one thing that need in, in a proper national league in which you're playing 22 games down the country, the travel factor does start to impact. Um, whereas I can't see it being that. The key here for any competition, if you're going to win this, uh, make yourselves into the top two is you, you can't lose many games. Mm. So, you know, you only took nine games. If you were to lose two, maybe three games, you may not find yourself in the final, um, the final reckoning. So the key here for everybody is, can you beat Auckland? Of course you can. Um, but the coaches are going to have to do their homework. They're going to have to put a game plan that isn't about keeping the, the score reasonable. They're going to have to have a go at them and they're going to have to press them unrelenting um, it depends how many of them are brave enough to do that. Uh, and so if they were to do that, they could certainly take points out of Auckland. And so once they do that, other teams might have the opportunity. But it then comes into a grand final situation and anybody can win that on the day. Yeah, that is true. Anybody can win that on the day. I mean, we we saw maybe a little bit of a glimpse of that in that Chatham Cup final, didn't we? I mean, I don't think Auckland City played their best footy in that first half. And, you know, you can be critical of them, but you've also got to give praise to a, an Eastern Suburbs side who haven't made the National League, um, finished sort of mid, lower mid-table in the Northern League for, for not allowing them to play the game they wanted to play. Yeah, look, I think it was, an ex- it, was a, well, it was a game in which both teams really didn't try to win the game. They were both comfortable sort of trying their, their, their game plan and sitting in the middle of the park and rolling the ball around. I think the Eastern Suburbs had been a lot more uh, prepared to risk fishing in the first half. They probably could have got a couple of goals. Auckland City were playing some really short stuff in around their six-yard boxes. And there was certainly opportunities for the outside players of the Eastern Suburbs to step in and on angle and it would have caused chaos. Uh, but then, you know, coaches have got to make their own decision. But if you're going to beat Auckland, you've got to get the first goal. doesn't matter what it takes, you've got to get the first goal. You get the first goal and you make them chase, they start to open up their channels and you start to do them. Um, so so that's got to be what happened. But then we saw on the Chum Cup final, basically, once Auckland City got the goal, Eastern Suburbs were really struggling. They had the, the sort of flurry of the death, but it's not how you beat Auckland. You beat Auckland by getting the first goal. Now, you coached in the Northern Prem, uh, so you, you, you've you coached against Auckland City, Birkenhead United, Auckland United and Melville United this season. Um, the yep. strength of those four teams, um, I mean, obviously Auckland City won that league, but can you see any of those other three ousting Auckland City? Have they got it to do it sort of over a league season? Going to depend on uh, injuries, uh, but from my perspective, I thought Melville... They've done really well to make the comp. They could go really deep. They really could. Uh, but you're asking a lot of fairly youngish players to step up and uh, do a really good job. They press really well. Uh, they work extremely hard. They've got a game plan that works well. Coach is smart. I think they'll they'll do all right. Uh, Birkenhead will be their usual, quite effective in the middle of the park. Their best attributes are in the middle of the park. Um, but it will be can they score enough goals to stay in there and Auckland United really I mean I think everyone would agree they kind of underperformed this year so they'll be really determined to go out there and, and prove that they could get a lot closer than that so I, I actually see most of the challenges from Auckland coming from uh, probably Wellington uh, Olympic and uh, Miramar to be honest and probably uh, Cash, uh, 
Cashmere or Christchurch United. I haven't seen either of them play, but my question mark when Wellington Olympic come up and played Auckland in the Chatham Cup, they were more than competitive. They just didn't have the finishing uh, capabilities that Auckland did. Uh, but yeah, I think that it's going to be quite a quite an interesting league. And who comes first and who comes last? Well, you have to say the Phoenix will end up round the bottom because that's traditionally what's happened. I hope they uh, don't, and I hope they really uh, get some of those young players playing to the level they need to. Uh, but it should be fairly close to who there should be three or four teams fighting to get into the. The top, this is sort of the top two, I would imagine. Mm, yeah, I mean, that is an interesting thing that you mentioned there because for so long, uh, you know, Team Wellington, Auckland City have gone head to head to head to head. Um, and really, when that dissolved, it sort of half the players went to Wellington Olympic, half went to Miramar Rangers. We haven't seen Miramar Rangers play Auckland City this season because they got knocked out by Olympic in the uh, in the Chatham Cup. So, I mean, for me... No, that... they got knocked out by Hamilton Wanderers. Yeah, sorry, by Hamilton Wanderers. But, you know, it looks like Miramar Rangers against Auckland City's... Uh, that'd, I mean, that would be a great opening round game and give us a great indication of where those teams sit. Is that is that the first game, is it? Uh, I, I haven't actually seen the draw as yet, mate. I'm just, I'm just saying that that would be a great first round game. That would be a great game. Yeah, look, um, I, I think the Wellington teams in particular have a bit of a, a bit of an issue is the fact that their competition's quite lopsided. The teams at the bottom seem to really struggle against the teams at the top, um, and therefore you have a situation where maybe they're not as hardened as other teams seem to be. Um, whereas Auckland have gone through a tremendous amount of really tough games. Um, same with Auckland United and same with Birkenhead and Melville. They've had tough games every week. Uh, so, yeah, that would be a great opening game, uh, but it certainly wouldn't be one that I think Miramar would want. Miramar would probably want two or three games before they hit that because then they'd be sort of up to speed and they're ready to go. Whereas I think Auckland's the one team that walks into this competition really up to speed because the amount of games they've had, the amount of wins they've had, all the activity they've done, um, they're at a much, you know been toughened a lot by the competition they've been in. So Miramar would probably want to have that second or third game. I'd quite like to see Olympic play Auckland uh, first up, to be honest. Well, Chris, I, I've just double-double-checked. I haven't had the email yet, but it is now up live on the uh, New Zealand Football website, and I can give you that first round of games. Now, the Women's oh. National League gets underway this weekend. The men's is actually not till the first week of October, but here we go. Yeah, I was going to say when you said that before, I was going to say that was awfully tight, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mate, I, mate I, I, you know, I just make it up as I go. Uh, but here, here you go. This is, <laughs> this is the first round of games. Uh, you've got Napier City Rovers host the Phoenix Reserves, Birkenhead United host Christchurch United, Kashmir Tech host Miramar Rangers, Wellington Olympic host Auckland City, and Auckland United host Melville United. Right. So, yeah. So, Wellington Olympic playing Auckland City, great first game for the league. Yeah, fantastic first game and for the league. And most of those other rounds will show people exactly where they sit. Exactly, you know, exactly. Uh, who, who was playing Birkenhead? Who did you say was playing Birkenhead? Yeah, Christchurch United. Who, you know, every, yeah. I, I, I really so know what Billingsley said to me made me think that he believes that they're a team that can challenge for the title. Okay. Uh, what would that be based on? Uh, well, that would be... 
he talked a lot about uh, the depth that they've got there. He talked about um, uh, their captain, Matt Todd Smith, in the middle of the park. Um, he talked about the goalkeeper they've got. He talked about a Chilean import whose name he couldn't pronounce. He just called him Leo, but he said he's a quality player, one of the best he's seen in the country. So, yeah, he was he was quite effusive about when I asked him who to watch out for out of Christchurch United, he rattled off a list of players that he thought were, were top-notch and would be able to challenge uh, any other players in the comp. Well, that's that would be really cool if they could. I, you know, I, I love the fact that he seems to be very, very confident with going into the the competition, and that's what you need. Uh, and so, yeah, that'll be really, really interesting. Uh, but yeah, they won their last game, I think, by ten or twelve nil. It's not really good prep leading into a national league. So, and as I said right at the beginning, you can't afford to pick up a couple of funny little losses. So they're going to have to hit the ground running. Everybody will be hum- um, humming right from the start. And it'll just have to run, but those those matchups are, are not bad, not bad at all for for people to get out and watch. That's for sure. Yeah, and Napier City Rovers getting the Knicks reserves as well. I mean, I know uh, the Knicks reserves prep's going to be a bit um, up and down at the moment because they've got a bunch of players over with the under 19s playing in the Oceania under 19. Yep. So, um, you know, if you Napier City Rovers, it's a good opportunity to get three points on the board early. Well, except for the fact that they've played them this year and they, um, Napier City Rovers or Hawks Bay, they ended up in behind the Phoenix in the competition. So, you know, I would imagine the Phoenix will be looking there. There's three points that they can really sort of target. Yeah, oh, you, so you think the Phoenix will be seeing that as a p- potential win as well? Of course, of course they would be because they would know that they've, you know, they've basically played a team that they're comfortable with. Uh, they finished above them in the competition. So they would be looking at that for, for three points. Uh, in a competition, I think for both of those teams, three points could could be difficult to acquire on a regular basis. Yeah, mate, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Of course, we do have a couple of weeks uh, to go before before this kicks off, and of course, in between now and that kicking off, uh, we also have the All Whites taking on uh, the Socceroos in two games. One uh, one here, one in Brisbane. Of course, uh, that's not next, uh, not this weekend, but the weekend after. Um, be great to see this as a an annual or a or a, or a biannual fixture, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, totally. I, I, I've thought for many, many, many years both countries have sort of uh, ignored this opportunity to build uh, a regular fixture, especially when getting fixtures um, on a world stage is is difficult for everybody because of cost and travel and that sort of thing. Um, I'd love to see this become quite a regular thing. And and now that the All Whites are, are deemed a professional, far more competent unit that we have for years, um, Australia will certainly see you as a viable opposition and we've got to maintain that that continues in the future so that it becomes a regular, even if it was every sort of couple of years. Uh, I'm not sure we could do it every year because it's just take windows, but any time there's a window of both teams when nobody's prepared to play you, they should be playing each other in my opinion. Even if it was more domestic slash A-League players, they should be setting those games up. Yeah, 100%, mate, 100%. I mean, we, we have had a look at the uh, teams, uh, the, the squads have been announced. The All Whites, of course, have named a couple of new names, and, and Kyle Adams is, is one of those. Alex Paulson getting an opportunity to be part of the group as well. Um, and, and we've got a few out, uh, a few injured. But, I mean, in terms of how strong that is versus the Socceroos, what do you think? Well, look, I, I think... It's an evolution that's continued to go forward. Kyle Adams is a, is a left-foot defender that plays in the second tier in the in the US, and he deserves an opportunity. And so 
the nucleus of a, the team is there, the one we've always had. Of course, people are always looking for the really, really big names, you know, but as long as Chris is there and, uh, you know, we're probably the two we're missing more and the more it seems to stick out is, of course, Preet Singh and Ryan Thomas. But the reality is the team's consistently bringing the shoes. When players are missing, another professional steps into the door ready to play. So long-term future, you know, the next World Cup in four years is the one that I think everybody's quite aware is this all-white team would be really sort of ready to go. So, you know, he's every opportunity, the coaching staff of the all-whites need to look to build the depth and continue to look to find people that need to replace the Winston Reeds and the Tommy Smiths of the world. Yeah, it's interesting that we don't have a uh, a Tommy Smith this time. It's the first time since Danny Hay became All Whites coach. No Tommy Smith. I believe he's he, he's got an injury. Uh, he hasn't featured for Colchester United uh, at all so far this season. And in a way, given that this isn't a competition game as such, it's probably not, not the worst thing to be able to see someone like Kyle Adams come in, being that left-sided defender, and get that opportunity. Well, certainly, you know, we Danny's got to take every opportunity he can. Uh, the one thing you'd have to say about the, the defenders we've currently got going, there's a lack of what you'd call real top-end pace. I mean, they're all quick, but they, they lack that electric uh, get-out-of-jail stuff. And so, yeah, he's probably, Danny's probably going to look beyond and say, well, I need quicker players, I need younger players, I need players that can achieve what I want to achieve. And the only way he can test that is by bringing them in. So, you know, Tommy Smiths and Winston... And, you know, I could imagine that Chris Wood may not be involved in the next couple of squads as he cements himself down at Newcastle and gets, you know, that happening. Because uh, you know what they can do, you mm. know, and especially Chris. So if he can find an opportunity like an Andre Dion, who is probably the next sort of nine running around out there, him and Alex Greaves type thing, um, then you've got to take that opportunity. Because if you don't take them in this windows, the opportunity is lost. And then when you do throw them into a big game, they're not capable mentally of getting up there yet. I mean, looking at the squad that he does have, do you think Danny's going to play that three, uh, that you know, central three uh, at the back with, I guess, Winston in the middle, and you know, you'd probably put Tui Loma on the right hand side, and then maybe Adams on the left hand side of that. Is that how you think you'll set it up? Well, I think that what we'll see now is Danny will start to adapt the team. Uh, there's no reason why he couldn't play three at the back, but one of them stepping into the holding role in midfield in attack, um, a little bit more modern in the approach from the, the fullbacks uh, and, and persevering with that, because especially there's nothing on these games. There's just a bit of pride. Whereas I think the last game against Costa Rica, it was all about we must win, we must win, play three at the back, stop them playing. Um, and it turned into a situation where we needed another option to really try to have a go at them. And whilst we played reasonably well, uh, we didn't have that sort of cutting edge with numbers. So I think Danny will take the opportunity over the next two to three seasons uh, to to sort of develop another system that also can play three at the back, four at the back, but it can also be two, two and a one and then a flat three and then one and a two, depending on how he wants to do that. So to do that, if you're going to play three at the back, you need both your outside side centre-backs to be capable of playing inside and outside, and especially quick off the front foot to turn and chase balls. So, I mean, when you say that, then that makes me think maybe they look at somebody like a Liberato Kikache, maybe in turning him into a left-sided centre-back if you're going to play that way rather than as a wing-back. 
Yeah, well, that could that could ideally happen. Uh, wing backs are more, in my opinion, they're going to be more about the attacking because if you end up with full backs out there as wing backs, they end up playing five at the back. And then what happens when you sling a five along the back line together, they actually get in each other's ways, as stupid as that may sound, because the full back on the far side can't narrow up enough. Um, so, you know, so Libby could easily move into that situation. Uh, he's got the capabilities to play. Because that role in that situation, you're tending not to mark anyone. Because the most teams are playing a four three three or playing a derivation of that, and so the center of the back three has to be the one that marks all the time um if they played a top two you know played a front two, then both outside center backs end up having to mark up anyway but so the the defending isn't as important as your ability to read the game, pick up midfield runners, and also have a capability to really play when you've got the ball uh so you know. He could easily do that role, uh, but from what I understand, what he's doing in Italy, he's playing as a left back and a fourth. Yeah, we saw him, I don't know if you caught it the other day, but he came on early in the second half against Roma, um, and he looks like he's put on some size. He looks like he's filled out as well. And I was looking at him going, he doesn't look like the whippet I remember going up the wing for the Phoenix. He he looks he looks like a proper proper big, big burly defender now. So I do wonder if that's where his future lies, Millie. Well, it, but it could be. Uh, I always laugh. It's. I remember when we were we were up in uh, Los uh, Los Angeles getting ready for the Twenty World Cup, and West Brom were training there at the same time. The size of them was just huge, you know. And people watch games on TV, and and I often think to myself, you really got to understand why some smaller, more agile players really do struggle in Europe because those players are fairly big. They're powerful. They're strong. They're in perfect fitness. Uh, regimes that get their body-to-weight ratio right. And if you don't do that, you can get yourself pushed off the ball continually. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he would have stacked on uh, a fair bit of muscle. I bet you his weight hasn't gone up too much, but he's certainly bigger. Yeah, yeah, I think it's probably a fair shout, mate. Well, uh, look forward to seeing that, mate, and look forward to uh, to, to watching the All Whites when they get here. And uh, and uh, what, only probably a week's time they'll be here and we'll uh, get to watch those two games. Millie, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat. Anytime, Ricardo. Cheers, mate. Chris Milicic there with us, former New Zealand under-20s coach uh, and currently head coach at Takapuna as well. It is 22 past eight here on the World of Football on ECNZ. It's 26 past eight here on SENZ. It is the world of football. Earlier today, they, uh, teams from around the country got together for a media session uh, with New Zealand football, and I went and caught up with a few of them. Of course, the Women's National League gets underway this weekend. The fixtures look like this. Capital football take on Eastern Suburbs. Canterbury United play Central. Western Springs play Southern United and Auckland United take on Northern Rovers in a rematch of the Chatham Cup final, uh, sorry, the Chatham Cup, the Kate Shepherd Cup final from the weekend. I caught up with Southern United skipper Hannah uh, Mackay King and we talked about them being defending champions and if teams are going to be coming for them ahead of their match with Western Springs. Hannah Mackay Wright from Southern United joins us. Hannah, how are you looking forward to the new? New look, National League. Very excited, yeah, very excited to get started this week. Um, and, yeah, we've got a bit of a people looking at our back now that we had such a successful 2021, so I'm very excited to get started. You managed to hold on to most of the same squad? Um, yeah, majority, and then we've got some newcomers, so pretty much, uh, yeah, and we've got a different coach and our old coach, so even better, we've got 
more accommodation. So, yeah, very good. Yeah, so it's uh, you be able to build on what you guys did last season. What have the conversations been pre-season? Um, yeah, so we've definitely going with what we've worked on last year, so we've got that to work on still. Um, but pretty much we're playing with the same intent and yeah, desire, and we know what we want to get out of the season. So um, pre-season's been short, but... The, girl, the group of girls know what they, they're here to do, so it'll be good. If you've got the same coach but another head coach come in as well, has that changed anything in terms of your approach or the way you play? Um, I don't think so. So the new coach, we've only had a week with him because, yeah, difficulties, but he's come in and he seems to know how we play and he's taking that and putting his own spin but basing that off what we did last year. So it seems like we'll be able to stick with what we know works well. And in terms of the new format, uh, you know, obviously we've been had a franchise kind of format previously. Now we've got a format which is all about you get there on your merits. How do, how do you think that's going to change things? Yeah, um, it's. I think it's exciting and, like, hopefully we'll start to become club-based as well in the, in the future. Um, so it's... It's yeah, it's good to see that other clubs are being able to do it as well, and hopefully we can do the same thing in the future. And like Dunedin clubs, they've been working hard to merge and find ways that we'll be able to fight in the national league as a club as well. So yeah, it's an exciting future, I think. Yeah, I think it makes sense at the moment for Southern to to be Southern, right? Just because of player numbers. And yeah. the one thing that I think New Zealand football's found in the past, I mean, I'm going a long time back when I used to play that, you know. For Auckland and Wellington Christchurch, that's fine, mm. being able to do that. But for some of the regional teams, it's harder because of your, your talent pool, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's the battle for you guys going forward? Yeah, definitely. So the club I play for in the Dunedin League, we, we dominate the league. And so I think it, we need to find a good balance in having a good Dunedin League to play in during the season, and then which is preparing us for the National League, not just dominating and then turning up to the National League with no preparation of hard games. So I think before Southern United change to club base or Southern United disappear, we need to, those clubs need to find that good, solid base and how they can prepare for the whole year for the National League, not just playing so-so games during the year. How has it worked for you um, transitioning from, obviously we've had... Um, you know, Southern Leagues, we've had the Chatham Cup and everything, into Southern United? Yeah, um, it's pretty easy transition. A lot of the girls, we all work together, we're all in the club team together, and then we get a few others from different clubs. Um, so we know how everyone plays. Um, and we've also had some... We played Christchurch teams for a, a month recently, which was great to pre- prepare us for the Southern United um, League. But, yeah, I think preparations could be better with our club... Um, our club league in Dunedin obviously it's it's hard to prepare for playing Auckland United when we have been playing teams that aren't quite up to that calibre but that's something to look into in the future I think How much was the step up for you from say those local games you were talking about in the Dunedin competition to going and playing the teams out of Christchurch? Yeah, huge step up so even the top two Dunedin teams went up to play the top two Christchurch teams and that, that was a great challenge for us um, we we came second, so it showed that we can. We, we beat one of the Christchurch teams twice, so we know that we actually are still up there with them. But I think it's more about what we can do to keep that standard for the future because we need to have good opposition in the future, really, to keep that up. All right, Hannah, tell us now why Southern United are going to go back-to-back. 
it's the fight and the desire in the girls. We, we, we want it more than anyone else, I think. Fantastic. Good luck. Look Thank forward you. to the season. Thank you very much. Yeah, Hannah Mackay right there from Southern United giving us her thoughts. Uh, of course, they play Western Springs this weekend. Uh, also playing this weekend in the first round of the Women's National League are the two Kate Shepherd Cup finalists from last weekend at Northern Rovers. Visit Auckland United and one of the standout players for Auckland United in that Kate Shepherd Cup final was a member of the under-20 squad at the last World Cup as well in Costa Rica only a couple of months ago. That is Ruby Nathan. I also caught up with her. Now, Ruby Nathan joins us from Auckland United. Uh, hey, Ruby, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Congratulations. Yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. Congratulations on that Kate Shepherd Cup win on the weekend. How did that feel? Oh, it felt great. It was a great end to the season before we start National Women's League. Yeah, great to go in on a win, of course, under, under Mauro Donoso, who's a, a great coach. I, I remember when he came here to play for the Kings, which was probably 20, 20 something years ago because I'm old. Uh, but what, what's he like to play under? And given, I guess, he's got that South American thing going on, how different is he to other coaches you've had? I really enjoy his playing style. Um, he's been my coach since I was around 10, so for the past six or so years. And I really like it because. He just encourages us to get on the ball and play forward and look to go to goal, which I think is a really good way to play. Yeah, it's a great way to play. Of course, you've obviously been involved in the under-20s as well. Um, how did that differ for you and what did you learn from that World Cup recently? Um, I just took away a whole new experience, really. It was pretty much a life-changing experience. Like It's one of a like once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, really. Not many people get to, like, have that experience, so I'm really grateful for it. And I just took away, like... It was great to play against some of the best players in the world. I feel like that was a really great aspect of the whole tournament, and I'm excited to hopefully go again in the next few years and see how we can compete against some of the best teams in the world. Yeah, no, I mean, for Auckland United and for the Ferns, you play, or in the, the under-20s, I should say, you play slightly different roles. Um, but I think, you're, I mean, you're capable of being a six or being an eight or being a ten or being a wide forward. Where, where do you prefer to play? Um, I generally like to play in the middle, so, like, ten. I can also play nine or I can play out wide on the wing. But I think it's very, like, if you play in the forward area, you're, like, a very versatile player. I think you can play really in any of the four positions. I feel like they have the same aspects of play. You just have to alter on the game day, really. Do you have a background um, outside of football in athletics? Because you seem to have a great engine. You seem to just keep going and going. I noticed that at the Chatham Cup final, you just did not stop closing and running. Um, I think I've always generally been quite a fit player. Like I, I've done athletics in the past, which I think has helped, and I've done running in the past. I think that just helped me build a base for football, I guess, and just keep building. I always like to be as fit as I possibly can be, so I guess that helps as well. You've got the uh, National League coming up, of course, and it's, it's a different format this time. Uh, it's, less, it's not franchise-based, it's club-based, so it's kind of more, I guess, you're there on merit, not just on, on um, as the franchises just always have a spot. What do you make of the new system, the new setup, the new competition, and, and what are you looking forward to most? Um, I think I'm looking forward to playing against the other regions particularly because we've been playing about 20 games against just Auckland region um, teams. So I'm really excited to like test our team against 
Canterbury and Capital and other teams like that. I think it's really special for our team because we've worked hard, really hard to get into this position and I think it takes a lot of teamwork and hard work over the past year to qualify and it really shows our team strength, I think. Sorry about the noise. We're at the AUT Millennium Institute. I think they just had a school run through here. Um, if you can hear that noise in the background. Um, and the other thing, I guess, is the amount of games you've played. I don't know how many games it is you've played this season, but you've got, obviously, National League still to come. How do you think playing this many games is developing you as a player? Um, I think it's really helpful. I think we've probably played around 25 games total before the National Women's League, which I think is really good both individually and as a team. I think it helps us really connect with each other on and off the field and we've developed a good team culture throughout this whole year. And for me as a player, I've been able to get on the ball lots throughout 20 or so odd games and I think that's really helped me um, improve as a player. And I, I know this is, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I'm going to ask you this anyway. You've obviously worked with Gemma, who's now left, and Natalie, who's now the head coach of the Knicks. Have there been any uh, conversations about a scholarship deal or something for you for that Knicks women's team at all? Um, that would be something I would be interested in, but I don't think this year is the right year. I've still got one more year at school, so I think after I finish that, I'd be open to doing, going for like a pro, going in the pro direction would be something I'd be keen to do. And uh, tell me, lastly, Ruby, why are Auckland United going to win the Women's National League? Um, just a great club overall. I think best club in New Zealand. Got a great kit and a great team, great coach and great players. So I think we can go far. There you go, awesome. Ruby hey, thank you very much for your time and best of luck for the season. Eh? Thank you so much for having me. Ruby Nathan there, just talking over myself. Uh, talked to her earlier today at that launch. When we come back, we'll talk to a couple of the guys, Cam Housen and Noah Billingsley. And joining us from Christchurch United via the United States, uh, former New Zealand rep as well, Noah Billingsley. G'day, Noah. How you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Mate, what's it like being home playing football? Uh, it's good, yeah. I really missed it. Um, the States was fantastic, but uh, I think I lost a little bit of the passion. So I came home, had a wee break, and uh, yeah, football back here has really sparked that enjoyment again, so I'm loving it. That's fantastic, mate. You've had a, a great season with Christchurch United, of course, uh, a storied club in the South Island, uh, and, and, and you managed to, to take out that Southern League on the last day of the season. What was that experience like? Oh, that was, it was bloody fantastic, yeah. I, um, I joined the team halfway through the season, so um, I missed out on quite a few of the things at the start of the year, but um, to win the league uh, the way we did on the last day by you know, scoring 10 goals was, was fantastic, and you know it's a, it's a game I'll never forget. I bet, mate, I bet. And what about your game personally? I mean, I, we've seen you in the under-20s set up. You know, you played in the under-20s World Cup here. You've been involved in other New Zealand sides. We've seen you play MLS in the league underneath as well. You've been used up top. You've been as a wide forward. I've seen you play as a, as a wing-back. I mean, where do you comfortably sit now? Where do you think your future is? Yeah, good question. Uh, I'm wondering that myself. I think uh, over the last couple of years I've played, as you say, a wing-back, right-back, and I think... That's probably my best position. Um, but growing up and playing winger and striker um, has been good because it means I can, you know, I can play there. Um, but I think going forward, if I do want to progress and, and get to that next level again, um, it will be as a as a right back. Well, I guess you know, if we're talking pro game, and you know that the national league is fantastic. It's great to have a league of. Of, of the stature now, uh, where people clubs are there on merit, not just because you're a franchise, you know, so they have to play, they have to be there. But 
for someone like you, I would imagine you're looking at the Phoenix as a as a pro club on your doorstep. Where do they need players? They probably fullback is an area. Yep. No, exactly. Um, and that's you know always a thought in the back of my mind. Um, and yet, with the National League changing its format, it, I think it's really good. Um, I think the teams are a lot stronger, and it gives a lot of other people chances to play. Um, but yeah, at the moment, just focusing on the on the uh, the season with Christchurch United, and hopefully we can do well, and that means that us as individual players can also do well. You've obviously, as we mentioned, come back from the states. How have you found the level? Um, yeah, it's it's obviously different. I think um, in the states they're very you know gym focused, and everyone's an athlete, um, which is good but I think um, maybe sometimes the skills a bit lacking and so coming home it's it's very different different kind of game but I think it's an underrated league down here and I think there's so many skillful players um, that there's not much of a drop off at all in, in quality so I've really enjoyed it the thing I, I this is years ago and I'm pretty old now um, but um, I, I played a little bit in the states and the thing that I noticed I, as you said you know there are guys that look like they're in the gym you know yeah. for six days a week uh, they're super fit they can't read the game, no. uh, and that was the thing that I noticed. I mean, I was sort of nowhere near as fit, but I, I could pick a pass and things and do things that I thought were obvious that they didn't see. I mean, that's, I, I guess, education. It's been part of the game for a, for a long period of time. Did you notice that when you were there, and was that something that you could take advantage of as a player? Oh, 100%. I think going um, from New Zealand into a university over there, I think that's um, a lower, lower level as well. So I think you do see people who, yeah, as you say, in the gym six seven days a week but it's that sort of uh, game intelligence that's a wee bit lacking and that's not to say there's some fantastic players over there but um, I think that is something that maybe the US struggles with which is probably why they're not you know up the top with some of the greater countries not not that you've been skipping gym day mate Gun, sun's out guns out you're looking, looking good with summer on the horizon oh, no, mate, I've got a beer belly at the moment gotta get rid of that <laughs> but no, yeah uh, I, you know I'm not the best at um, you know, reading the game or the most technical player, so I've got to got to be good in some some areas. So physicality somewhere, I, I try to try to you know be alright in. And Christchurch United, I mean, it, uh, we're, I'm in Auckland, of course, so I haven't seen a lot of you guys play this season. We're gonna that's going to change when the National League kicks off. Um, outside of yourself, who should I be looking at at a Christchurch United? Who are the players who should be keeping an eye on? Oh, there's many ahead of me, mate. Um, we've got Eddie Wilkinson. He was our top goal goal scorer. He's he's a bloody fantastic player. Um, He's, he's one to look out for. He'll be up there with the Golden Boot race this year. Our captain, um, Matt Todd-Smith, really good leader, plays in sort of 6-8 role. Um, uh, our goalkeeper, Scott Morris, he's fantastic too. And there's, there's honestly so many players. Jordan Spain, who's played you know, for um, New Zealand under-23s. Um, we've got Riley Grover, who's a young under-20s player, who's fantastic. Um, Blake Weston, the whole team is, is bloody fantastic. We've also got a, a Chilean, Leo, I won't butcher his last name, but he's, he's fantastic too. He's learning English, so it's um, yeah, slow, slow sort of progression into the team. Um, but no, the whole team is fantastic. I think a lot of people will be surprised at how good we are. Excellent. Uh, Leo the Chilean, is he going the Palais route just having Leo on the back of his jersey? <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know, don't know if you could fit his whole last name on the back, so Leo might be the way to go. <laughs> might be, mate. Uh, just before I let you go, Noah, tell us, why are Christchurch United going to win the National League this year? We're going to win the National League because we're a fantastic team, extremely disciplined, and people will... Uh, that I think will be very underrated and people will take us lightly and we're going to surprise a lot of people.
Good to hear, man, and best of luck. Look forward to that National League kicking off. Sweet, mate. Thank you so much again. At the AUT Millennium Institute with uh, Auckland City captain Cam Howson, mate. Congratulations on uh, that Chatham Cup victory on the weekend for a start. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, it's um, been a great season so far. I'm just happy to, you know, for myself, first time I've won the Chatham Cup and same for Auckland City, so really happy with that. It's uh, been a great season for you guys so far. You've wrapped up the OFC Champions League, the Northern Prems, uh, the Chatham Cup, obviously, and now uh, the National League in a, in a whole new format. Um, how, how does that grab your attention? Yeah, it's been a long season, to be honest. Um, if you think back from when we started, I think we started in last December. So when it comes to the end of the season, it will be 12 months that we've been in for training or from pre-season. So, you know, we've obviously locked in three trophies now, but it doesn't obviously we've put in a lot of hard work and that's credit to the coaching staff and us as players um you know working hard and making sure that we go into every game well prepared and we'll be doing no different coming the national league you've had a few different bosses obviously at Auckland City over the last few years Ramon was there obviously um and then uh, Jose was there and and now you've got Albert is it has it been pretty smooth the transition from one to the other to the other yeah it has been I, um at the beginning I thought it would be a little bit strange or a little bit different from obviously playing with Albert for a, a few years um, so I know him very well before he went into the coaching um, but like like he is as a, was as a player he's the same as a coach um, very demanding um, you know he wants the best for everyone and you know um, he'll put his foot, foot in when things aren't working well and you know make sure the standards are kept high and yeah he's been great um, I think he's been great for the young ones as well coming in and you know, his experience with football, his knowledge is great. And, um, yeah, it's been smooth and um, I'm really happy for him because he's a great guy as well. What about the uh, the way you keep keep going? Like I've mentioned you've won three trophies, but really I guess the big one is the National League, right? Because that gets you uh, potentially Club World Cups and things like that. So how do you park those successes and, and, and fixate on the next thing, you know, and not, I guess, get um, complacent? Yeah, it's tough. Um, it is tough because when you're at the top, everyone um, is looking to beat you. Um, so, you know, we just got to stay in our bubble and make sure that we're, we're doing everything possible to, to, you know, put our foot forward and, you know, to pick up that fourth trophy because, like you said, um, the Club World Cup's the big one. Um, and we we're happy to obviously be going for that next year, um, but we want to put our hand up and be there every season. Um, but, you know, looking at the teams this year, there's a lot of quality. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to, you know, make sure that we're prepared for every game because um, it's only one round and only two can make it to the final. So um, any little slip-up can be very challenging to come back from. What about the new format? Obviously, you know, in the past it was franchise-based. Now it's merit-based, so you have to battle to get there. But it also means it adds 18 games to your season, right? So it's almost more like a European season now? Yeah, it's... Um it's, like I said, we've been in since last December, so it's very challenging um, with the new format and new rules. So, um, But it does, I guess, allows, like, with the new rules, a lot of under-20s to come through. Um, and we've seen that through, you know, from our club and other clubs that a lot of young players are coming through, and it's great to see. Um, but, yeah, it's it's very demanding and very tough. Um, but, yeah, we just got to keep on going. And so, uh, a f- final question for you, Cam. Why are Auckland City going to win the National League? I think just because of our standards, the way we train, the way we, 
you know, if you, you come down every week and see the way we prepare for games and the way we train and, you know, you, you'd, you'd understand why we've, had, we've got three trophies under our belt at the moment because, you know, you know, the standards are very high and um, the commitment from the players is just so, so awesome to see and it's awesome to be obviously leading these boys and an honour to lead these boys out and um, I'm just so happy to be part of um, Auckland City. Cam, thanks very much for your time, mate, and uh, best of luck for the season. Cheers, thank you. Just after nine here on SENZ, Ricardo Ball with you. It is the world of football and joining us uh, from the other side of the ditch to talk, of course, the big games coming up between the All Whites and the Socceroos. Teo Palazzieri, he is a commentator for 10 Football. G'day, Teo, how are you? Great to be chatting, Ricardo, and yes, lots to look forward to for our two countries. Mate, and I, I just saw this story. I don't know if you've caught up with this yet, but uh, one of the young guys in your squad that has been named by uh, Graham Arnold, um, let me try and get his name here, he plays out of the Central Coast Mariners, uh, Garang Kuhl, is that how you say it? Yeah, Quoll, Garen Quoll. Garen Quoll has uh, just come out, according to BN Sports, he signed a four-year deal with Newcastle United in the Premier League. Pretty phenomenal stuff, isn't it? And I think as an investment in him, uh, he'll have to be loaned out. He probably won't get a work permit to be able to play Premier League under-23s or in their youth system. So the next move is intriguing, but I think as far as Newcastle putting their global footprints on this part of the world, having already signed Chris Wood and now Garen Quall, and also for Quall's own prospects, given that He's only played, would you believe, 189 total minutes of A-League football. He might be about to win his first cap. And now he's going to get a a move to a club that most seem to believe are headed for the places that Chelsea and Manchester City have been in the last 10 to 15 years, right to the top of world football. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting one. They, they seem to be, I know this isn't what we got you on for, but while we're on the subject, mate, they seem to be going about it in a slightly different way to those other two clubs that you mentioned. Yeah, very patient and sort of trying to sign players that will incrementally improve their team. I think they're mindful that if they are too uh, audacious, financial fair play might actually start getting policed again. But if it means that they also follow the Chelsea model of just trying to sign as many great young players as possible and farm them out on loan, as we know, Chelsea did have Kevin De Bruyne and Mohamed Salah on their books as players who were perpetually out on loan and not getting much of a look. So... Maybe Garen Quall, that could be the business model that they're looking for here. Yeah, maybe, maybe. What have you made of the squad that was announced today? Uh, any any big omissions for you? Oh, look, I think today was a fan favourites squad. All the players that had really been talked about so much by our media and fans, social media, were picked in this squad. Jason Cummings of the Central Coast Mariners, Garen Quall, Mitch Langerak coming out of international retirement to rejoin with the Socceroos. Cam Devlin, who's been so good with hearts in the Scottish Premiership. It's almost like Graham Arnold has played the hits here. And he did openly disclose that he's going to have two completely different 11s for the two friendlies. So that's why he needed a squad of 30. The big omission is Tom Rogic. But Arnold was pretty upfront that now that Rogic has signed for West Brom in the English Championship and is expected to be back playing regular first-team football soon. The door isn't close to him for the World Cup, and the mysterious reason that he withdrew from Socceroos duty and took such a long time to find a new team after leaving Celtic, it's never come to light. It's not like it's an open secret over here. No one knows. There seems to be no level of insider that actually understands what the cause of that was, but 
at least the door isn't totally closed on him appearing in the World Cup, and that would, of course, be great for the Socceroos, given his level of talent. Well, that, I mean, that is the thing. I mean, uh, you know, I look at this Australian team versus the Australian teams we've had in the past. You know, and from a New Zealand fan point of view, we're looking at it going, well, you know, it'd be great to play you guys every couple of years because it feels like we're about even. Uh, at the moment, you you don't have your your Kules and your Vadukas and, and and players or even your Cahills, your players like that anymore. Uh, in fact, you know it's probably more household names and in inverted commas, if you like, in the all white squad than there is in the Socceroos squad. Uh, yeah, I think that's entirely fair. I think the top end of New Zealand's team is perhaps pointier than Australia's in terms of the clubs that the players are playing for and also the reputations that they're carrying. There's, there's a lot of Socceroos players who only recently moved to Europe. In the, in the case of Aziz Bayic at uh, his club, uh, Dundee United, United. It's, been, yeah. it's been a total disaster, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think a lot of players recognise that the A-League season starting as late as it is wasn't going to give them much of a runway. Keanu Bacchus went to St Mirren. Ryan Strain left Israel to go to St Mirren as well. You've got Joel King playing in Norway. And I don't know, it, you're right. We don't have the name power that we used to, but... I guess that's the point of, of being a unit. The, the whole is meant to be greater than the sum of its parts. And I think there is something exciting about going to a World Cup as a shop window team where a player can make their reputation and perhaps make an unprecedented jump. I guess it's a bit different with it being in the middle of a season rather than in the off-season. Uh, there is a January transfer window, but you just never know who might put their name up in lights and find themselves perhaps thrust back into the pointier end of European football as a result of Australia overperforming at this tournament. Now, you talked about Aziz Bayic and Dundee United being a bit of a disaster, uh, and you also talked about Mitchell Angerak coming out of international retirement. Which one of those two things uh, do you think has caused Mark Bittergitti not to make this team? Or is it a combination? I- well, Mark Bittergitti, uh was always perhaps the fourth choice, and so... Andrew Redmayne's performance in the penalty shootout to get us past Peru meant that he was going to be a permanent fixture. Matty Ryan's move to FC Copenhagen also means that he'll be playing regularly and playing in the Champions League, which is an excellent preparation for him. Langerak, Graham Arnold said in his press conference today that he retired from international football because he didn't want to leave his family in Japan alone during COVID and didn't want to have to go through the ordeal of getting in and out of Japan and and the various protocols that would be involved with travelling in order to participate in Socceroos matches and World Cup qualifying. So the fact he's back is obviously excellent for Australia, given his J-League form has been top-notch. And Mark Birrigitti having lost his starting spot in Scotland, yeah, it's a tough thing because he was the outstanding A-League goalkeeper statistically and just with the eye test as far as his performances by so far. And you can't help but think back to Michael Theo and his horror debut with Norwich where he conceded seven goals. And you just hope that with a change of manager at uh, Dundee, maybe Birrigitte can get his spot back and salvage what so far has been a misfire. Yeah, it has been a bit of a misfire. Well, I mean, there there are some names there that we recognise. You mentioned Tommy Rogic, who, of course, was at Celtic for so long. And uh, great to see that he's finally picked up a club. Hopefully, from an Australian point of view, he is back in Graham Arnold's reckoning come the World Cup, and there's not more to that story. Uh, But Aaron Moy is another name that we do know. We have seen play Premier League football, uh, but he's a guy who's probably at the other end of his career at the moment. Uh, How important is he to your chances at the World Cup? Here's the thing. He'll, He'll play as many minutes, if not every minute of every game, I suspect. Is he that important? It really depends who you talk to. I think ex players consider Aaron Moy to be the most important member of the team. Whereas if you speak to print journalists, 
some see him as a bit of a ball stopper and, and kind of at times a, a handbrake on our ability to, to move the ball. And there, there is an agitation for Dennis Genro. I know he's only got three caps, but he's now playing in a top five league with Toulouse. Aaron Moy was a bit of a, a bit of a miracle was worked on him off the back of six months of no football in China to get him up to play the minutes he did in those World Cup qualifiers against the UAE and Peru. And I'm sure he'll probably, if he can, play every minute of every game that Australia plays at the World Cup. But uh, beyond the World Cup, I do think it has to become Genro's midfield in combination with Aydin Prustich. So maybe this will be a last hurrah for Moy. I don't want to, to bury him too early because he has been a sensational servant of the Socceroos, but maybe uh, this might be a swan song in green and gold. Now, it won't surprise you to find out that when the Socceroos team was announced here, the headline was former Phoenix midfielder to face the All-Whites. Um, Cameron Devlin was loved here by the Phoenix fans, absolutely loved. Uh, they were gutted to see him leave uh, and then quite happy to see him uh, not play a second for Newcastle and go up to hearts, to be fair. Um, there's been a few people down here surprised not to have seen him included in squads prior to this. Why do you think that is? It's a great question. I suspect that Graham Arnold uh, had his fascination with Johnny Stensnet. He brought in Connor Metcalf for the qualifier against Japan, which didn't work out. You know, there were some darts thrown at the dartboard there trying to find an answer in midfield, and, and Devlin was maybe just too far down the queue. His form for hearts in the Scottish Premiership has been impossible to ignore, and the fact that it is now essentially the home of Australians in UEFA competitions means that he's under you know, the nose of Graham Arnold and Rene Muhlenstein, the assistant coach, who's the European-based scout that's uh, consulting and, and talking to these Socceroos. He became impossible to ignore. Yes, it may have taken a bit too long, but it's, the evidence is there, both at the Phoenix and at Hearts, that he's a glue guy and, and he's beloved by fans and teammates. And I suspect he will become someone like that for the Socceroos as well. It's just a very slow process to see it finally happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, the makeup of that team. And you mentioned a name there who we've seen run around in a white shirt. In fact, he played for uh, New Zealand at the last Olympics and Gianni Stinsness before changing his mind and deciding that he really wanted to play for Australia. That might be something that backfires on him. He's still got a long way to go in his career. What have you made of Gianni Stinsness? And do you expect him to be a player that will be in and around Australian squads going forward? It's hard to say because I know that some uh, outlets have, have begun the rumour mill that Graham Arnold's going to get a contract extension off the back of the World Cup, potentially regardless of where, how Australia performs or how, what Australia's results actually are, that just qualifying alone might be enough to get Arnold renewed. If that's the case, I think Johnny Stensness should feel pretty good about his prospects. But if we go down a new path, whether it's an Australian manager like Kevin Musket, who would have seen plenty of Johnny coaching against him in the A-League, or whether we opt for a, a foreign manager completely uninitiated to Australia that would no doubt look through the squads of who we've called up before we bring him in. You know, it's good that there's a level of competition. It's not at the highest level. It's not like you know, th we're looking at a team here that is full of world beaters all competing for each other's spot. But no, I don't, I don't think it, the door is totally closed on him yet. And uh, I think after New Zealand picked up Ali Green and India Page Riley, uh, a couple of Australians, might I say, uh, for your... Uh, Fern's team uh, to play for the women's side, uh, maybe it's only fair that we get Stensness in, in return. 
Yeah, well, I think you took Stensters first, to be fair. So maybe maybe we're getting them in return. I mean, Teo, let's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, well, you mentioned Graham Arnold there too, and, and that's interesting that you say that, a contract extension, because everything that I was hearing ahead of, you know, well, you know after your uh, qualifying in the group stages, and it didn't really go swimmingly well, and nobody was impressed that you finished third in the group and had to play two qualifying games to get to the World Cup, that, you know... Um, Australian football were like, well, look, there's no point in replacing him now, so we'll let him see it out, and then we'll we'll get a new coach after the World Cup or after he fails to qualify for the World Cup. I mean, I, I thought he was a dead man walking. And rightly so. I think there was unashamedly some kite flying done with uh, a, a few leaks out of the HQ just to sort of market test the idea of moving on from Graham Arnold, and I'm not exactly sure who the FA might have considered to line up as a replacement to take us to these two playoffs. But it's probably a bit of a fraught financial decision. And perhaps they decided to dance with who they took to the to the ball. And ultimately, Graham Arnold got the Socceroos to the World Cup and it's flipped the script on how his entire tenure will be viewed. I, I said openly after Australia qualified that it should be seen as a cautionary tale rather than a blueprint. And I do worry that that advice may have fallen on deaf ears, especially if, if Arnold is extended and is allowed to continue on. I mean, his motivation to continue in the job, he, he may wish to get back into club football, he may wish to have a break. So let's not rule out that it's a certainty that if Australia was to offer him a contract, he'd accept it. But look, I, I do think it would be best for the discourse of Australian football if the Arnie tenure comes to an end at this World Cup, 12 months to prepare for an Asian Cup, and then the next World Cup cycle begins. Yeah, uh, R- Robbie Slater will be in tears if that happens, mate. But uh, anyway, that's a, it's a conversation for another time. Uh, given that Australia is, you know, hosting a Bledisloe Cup uh, tomorrow night, and you've got AFL finals and NRL finals, um, how in the news is this? Uh, this particular, well, this, these two games coming up. It's a great question because. Uh, I'm, I'm based in Sydney now. I used to be based in, in Melbourne back in the day when we used to chat on the great Trans-Tasman sports show right here on this very network, SEN. But uh, I think that uh, NRL finals are, are creating a level of fervour due to sort of the heightened tension and, and drama of, of their competition. The AFL has been of an excellent standard this season. As you say, Bledisloe Cup. The Socceroos get cut through because we're in the World Cup, though. The halo effect of that just adds a level of context, which means that Suncorp should be 40,000 plus, uh, maybe even close to capacity. Farewell games always perform well, regardless of who they're against. And I do think that a good performance in a Socceroos win within 90 minutes is going to be news just because they've become such a a rarity uh, over the course of our World Cup qualifying campaign that it would be so welcome to to just see them play well and win. And if someone like a Garang Qual scores a goal, factor in the transfer rumours around him, that, that could see the team really take off. So, I, I, as I said, this is a squad that's been picked to try and, I think, get the fans back on side and get them energised for the World Cup. And I do think it will achieve its objective. Has there been much talk about this New Zealand side over there? I mean, you know, we've got guys like Liberato Kakache now playing at Empoli uh, in Serie R regularly. Matt Garbutt is in the Torino squad as well. Uh, and, of course, you know, we know about Chris Wood at Newcastle United. How much... Uh, is that getting attention that of the level of the players that New Zealand now has and how close uh, this matchup might be? Oh, no, we're, we're navel-gazing. We're very much looking at our team rather than <laughs> yours for this one. Um, look, there, there is, there's always a level of respect for New Zealand, and as we touched on earlier, 
New Zealand's uh, top-end talent is now at a point where it's somewhat comparable, if not better than Australia's. The depth players, though, and, and I see that your squad has got so many players that are sort of 10 caps or less in it. Yeah, there is an element of, of generational change coming through. And it must be said that I think a lot of people in Australia felt as though New Zealand were very hard done by in your World Cup qualifier against Costa Rica. I mean, we got to watch that here uh, on uh, FIFA TV for free and really sawn off is, is what I would say. Wellington Phoenix, I think a lot of people expect them to be good this season. Perhaps a little bit surprising how, the, how they surrendered to MacArthur in the Australia Cup. MacArthur, who played tonight as a result of beating the Phoenix, but, you know, we see some, some good talent in the Phoenix who are earning respect and I think are in for a, a season where they could potentially play finals. And I think there's just that level of understanding that New Zealand are now one of those teams that are capable of overperforming. They'll rise to the occasion against Australia. But I would be absolutely lying if I said that anyone other than hardcore football fans are looking at the New Zealand team it could be anyone playing Australia in this game. It really is about what our team is preparing to do to go to the World Cup and take on France, Tunisia and then Denmark. Yeah, good stuff, Teo. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on and having a chat to us. Are you going to get to call these games at all? Uh, not these ones. Uh, I am, if you must know, I'm doing the New South Wales NPL Women's Grand Final this weekend. But you know what? I'm as enthusiastic about that game as any. So uh, hopefully... Uh, you you will hear from me on a Phoenix game or two come A-League men's season uh, from the games that are played over here. Fantastic, Taylor. Thanks very much again for your time, mate. Go well and good luck with your call this weekend. A pleasure. Thanks, Ricardo. Cheers, uh, Teo Palazzieri there uh, from Channel 10, football commentator out of Australia. It is 18 past nine here on SENZ, the world of football. This is SENZ 22 past nine. Ricardo Ball with you through until 11 o'clock. It is the world of football at the moment and we are talking football shortly. Going to be joined by former Brighton and Hove Albion player Adam Virgo. Uh, He makes his bow tomorrow, Graham Potter, that is. I'm talking not Adam. uh, As the manager of Chelsea in the Champions League after leaving Brighton. uh, And Adam is going to join us to talk about that shortly. But there were games in the Champions League this morning, including Tottenham who had a, a good win. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a great win, but they they got the three points. It was one of those wins. They won 2-0 against Marseille in the first game, and you thought, well, that, you didn't play well, but you got the win, and, and that's great because uh, Antonio Conte has a history of not performing as a manager in the Champions League. Well, today they had to go to Portugal and play Sporting in Lisbon. It was nil all with 90 minutes up, and they managed to lose 2-0. Uh, this is what Antonio Conte had to say post-match. Yeah, a difficult, a difficult result, and uh, for sure when you lose the game, you are not happy. I think uh, that the, the game was in balance in the second half. Uh, I think we uh, we could score, and uh, we tried to to win the game, and uh, and then in, in the last ten minutes, I think we we can do we can do much better. And uh, they scored with uh, with a corner, and then we considered the, the second goal on, uh, after the 90, 90 minutes. Uh, I think it's a pity, uh, but difficult game for sure. We tried to to get a win, but then at the end uh, we lost the game. What was the problem in front of goal tonight? Why weren't they able to put the chances away? Do you think? 
Yeah, but when you arrive and you have to try to to fill the box and to to be uh, uh, accuracy and to go strong to attack the goal. And uh, I think uh, we had uh, two, three situations that uh, we can do much better. And uh, yeah, but now we have to try to to rest and uh, uh, to think of the next game, uh, the Premier League. Yeah, so there you go. That was uh, uh, Antonio Conte talking, obviously a bit disappointed there. On track, Frankfurt beat Marseille in the other game in that group. Also this morning, we saw Inter Milan uh, be the Victoria Pleasant and two nil, and probably the easiest game to pick this round. Bayern Munich managed to get two nil, a two nil win against Barcelona, a team featuring, of course, their old striker Robert Lewandowski. And I thought that was going to be one that might not quite go to script. Leverkusen got a win over Atletico Madrid in an upset. And Club Bruges beating Porto in Portugal 4-0 is a massive upset. I think most had them as the fourth-ranked team in that group. Uh, Liverpool this morning had to bounce back from their 4-1 loss to Napoli last week. They played Ajax and managed to get through with an 89th-minute goal from central defender Joel Matip. Here's Jurgen Klopp speaking post that win. I think everybody could see that we understood that we know we had to uh, put a completely different shift into the game. The boys did that, played a lot of good stuff against a really hard-fighting opponent, good opponent, um, scored the first goal, should have scored more goals from set pieces especially. I don't know how these balls didn't go in. Not sure it was the first attack, but a lot. I actually didn't have a lot, so we defended. It's their first it. shot on target, and yeah, they're only well, in the first half. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. yeah, that's how it is in, in our situation. It can happen. It was an incredible strike from Kudus, we have to say. But um, in the last moment, it's difficult to defend it better, I think. But in the centre, we were 100% right in midfield. I don't know. We have to watch it back. Um, but it's like another test, if you want. And you, everybody was hoping that it just goes in the right direction, and then you get the setback. And um, you could see the impact of yeah. that. Um, the pressing before the goal was much better than after the goal. And we only talk about a yard or two in these moments. A little bit more intensity in the if we press, we have to put to, to do it right. So half time on one, and then it was clear we have to um, go back to how we started and keep going because it was very intense for, for Ajax as well. How we played and the, the pressure we put in, try to change with the different system and finally one of the set one of the many set pieces we had um, lead to the goal nice would you have chosen Joel Matip as your goal scorer I think he's I think I'm his last Champions League goal was nine years yeah, ago so yeah, it's a collector's yeah, yeah. edition for Schalke then oh, <laughs> yes yeah. it was. Oh, God. so that's anyway a goal to forget for me uh, so um, yeah no I'm, I'm not picky <laughs> in that in that sense that I think um, he should but it was a nice celebration and showed pretty much everything um, what we what the boys thought today um, it's uh, nothing is over neither negative nor positive it is a first step it was a very important step for us now we have a strange break uh, pretty long but um, and the players come only back Wednesday Thursday for the game but we have the boys we have to hope and pray that they come back healthy and that we can train with the others properly and then um, yeah Brighton is waiting there's still plenty to do I mean Joel scored tonight Virgil had chances but the the Ajax goal did they get in behind too easily 
I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I have to watch it back while I said. Um, I, I saw that in the end you cannot avoid all balls in behind. Eh? So, but I thought we really deal pretty well with that. If, if that in that situation not, yeah, that's what I said. But that will always happen in football. It always happened before. We just don't concede all the time. And Ali has to make a save. Then something went wrong beforehand. So, um, I understand that we talk about all little details, but for us it's obviously um, uh, not that important because it's it's about conceding a chance. What always can happen, especially with the quality of the opponent. And getting back to how it should have been, and um, that's what we did, especially in the second half, and that's why I'm really happy with the performance. There you go, Jurgen Klopp speaking after Liverpool's 2-1 win against Ajax this morning in the Champions League. It is 9:29 when we come back. Adam Virgo, former pro player and commentator, now out of the UK, played for Brighton and Hove Albion. We'll get his take on the former Brighton coach, who's now in charge of Chelsea, taking his first game tomorrow morning. And where to next for Brighton? Feels like nine weeks or nine months, but uh, it's been brilliant. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, the beauty of football, the beauty of life. You never know what's around the corner. Things happened incredibly quickly, um, and some really intense conversations uh, with uh, with the owners. And, and quickly, I realised that firstly they were good people, intelligent people that had made a huge success of their life outside of uh, football and wanting to achieve something here. Really exciting projects. Really exciting. Um, ideas about how to take the club forward and it felt uh, it felt really really positive uh, I'm not going to lie it's been a whirlwind in terms of getting to know people uh, leaving Brighton learning about the players um, getting to know them but so far it's been really really positive you know I, my first impressions have been really really good and um, yeah I'm looking forward to starting as you can imagine really looking forward to starting a really honest group, a really um, responsible group. They want to achieve, they want to do well. And I'm absolutely happy with the team, happy with the squad. The group's got a lot of uh, quality. And um, I'm looking forward to over the next few days and weeks getting to know them better and better. My experiences have, have just been as a supporter in terms of uh, Champions League level. Obviously, I have my Europa League experience with, with us at Sund. So uh, going to Galatasaray was a fantastic uh, occasion, winning there. Um, Pauk as well, uh, getting through there, uh, going through the, the, the Europa League um, groups was a fantastic experience, experience in European football. But you're right, this is a, an amazing uh, evening for us, uh, for, for, for all of us. I think it's really, really exciting. We're super excited for it. Uh, at the same time, you can imagine we've been trying to prepare a team, we've been trying to focus on the game, uh, getting to know all the players, getting to know everyone at the, the training ground. But there's no denying it's. Uh, we're, we're really looking forward to it. There you go. That is Graham Potter, the new Chelsea boss, uh, formerly the Brighton boss, uh, talking ahead of the game against FC Salzburg tomorrow morning at New Zealand time, his first game in charge. And joining us to talk about that and a few other things is Adam Virgo, a man who played professional football, had two stints at Brighton and Hove Albion. In fact, uh, it's where he started. And uh, he joins us now to talk about Graham Potter, the move to Chelsea. And I'd imagine Brighton are close to your heart, Adam. Uh, but bittersweet hearing that. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I think the fans have really grown a, a close affiliation with Graham because of the work that he did to to transform the club into a side that was just about staying in the league under Chris Hewton, playing a certain style of football, which as, as a fan wasn't necessarily the best to watch. It was quite defensive. A lot of games was without possession and, and sitting deep and trying to win the game in the last 15 minutes where Graham has 
you know, slowly change the philosophy of the way that Brighton wants to play and, you know, the recruitment that he's gone into in terms of trying to find players in, in different leagues that not necessarily are household names, but they come in, he works with them, he develops them. You know, Mark Kukurei is probably the, the best example of that um, to, to develop players. And then Brighton sell him on for, for a decent fee. But players come and go and, you know, there's, there are players out there that you can try and bring in to kind of fit into the mould and fit back into the jigsaw of players that have been sold. But when you lose a manager that's kind of built that identity, built that philosophy on and off the field, then they are not easy to go and find. And I think Brighton have found themselves in a difficult situation because they need to go and find someone that has the same ideas and philosophy as Graham, but then also the timing of it. I think it's probably very, very difficult for Brighton at this time. Yeah, it is. I mean, the timing of it with a World Cup too in the middle of a of a weird, weird old season that we're dealing with. Um, I mean, it feels to me, watching watching Brighton over the last couple of seasons, that they've got a lot right off the park. And yeah, well, he, Graham was a massive part of that. There, there are other people in there, the structure that they have got. Uh, this might not be uh, the death knell, if you like, that it might be for some other clubs. I mean, we've seen Bournemouth come up, and when it didn't go right for Eddie Howe, everything else kind of fell apart there. But it feels like Brighton's a bit more stable. Yeah, I mean, Paul Barber's chief executive of the football club has worked very, very highly. He's been at Tottenham, so he knows the, the development of of clubs off the field, the marketing. Uh, Tony Bloom, the chairman, a lifelong Brighton fan, kind of brought the club from Dick Knight back in, I think, early 2000s. And, but then just all of a sudden, built everything was timed right. And, the, you know, the main thing they got right was getting the training ground into place. Brighton now have arguably got one of the best training facilities in the Premier League. The youth structure... Um, there's a lot more apparent of a of a guideway to progress through to that first team. They took a very similar mould to what Barcelona used in terms of the youth setup of the youth players training at the training grounds, and the way they even they set up the pitches is that you start at under 11, then you work your way up, and the top pitch ends up being the first team pitch. So there's kind of a structure of the way that they've done that um, at the training grounds. Stability is absolutely everything for for clubs in the Premier League. Stability is important for clubs all over the world. And if you don't have that structure off the field, then it's very, very difficult to build something. You only have to look at someone like Manchester United, who are spending an abundance of money on players season after season, but they don't have the structure of the identity of players. And I think that's where Brighton have... um, coming to play really, really well. I mean, they've sold almost £160 million worth of players. Ben White went to Arsenal last season for £50 million. Yves Basuma went to Tottenham um, pre-season. And Mark Kukadaya. If you'd have said that 18 months ago to Brighton fans, that they, they probably would have just hid behind the sofas for the rest of the season because they'd have been so worried and nervous about losing those players. But Brighton have a clear identity of how to p- replace players quite quickly. Um, but now Graham's gone into a completely different scenario at Chelsea where a chairman looks to be seen to make a statement, spending a lot of money on players, and then end up sacking Thomas Tuchel after only five and six games, which I think to many people um, didn't really make a lot of sense, despite a couple of bad performances and that bad result in Europe. But Graham is a manager that builds sides, and you have to go with that philosophy. And you, I mean, Brighton this se- last season, to come the new year, I think, Graham won three games in 16. They lost six in a row. But Brian still felt that the way that they were playing and the direction they were going, they would see the results and the rewards. And that's what they've seen towards the back end of last season and the start of this season. And I think Chelsea fans are going to just have to be patient for Graham to start you know, using his identity in the way that he wants to implement on the side. It's interesting that Todd Bowley doesn't strike me as a particularly patient man, but he has given Graham a five-year deal. 
Uh, that suggests that he sees it as being a bit more of a project. But I guess from Graham's point of view, it, it's going to be more difficult and that he will have to be churning out results. This is a, a whole different ball game uh, running Chelsea. Yeah, I think so. I think I think the thing that Graham has in his favour, I know time's not always on your side as a manager, but I think he'll be given two transfer windows because probably a lot of those players that have come into the football club under Thomas Tuchel, you know, he may not have wanted. I'm, the way that I've seen Graham sign players, you know, Aubameyang wouldn't have been a player that I know that he would have gone for. You know, I think there's just certain players in the in, in the signings that Chelsea have made this season. I don't think are Graham Potter players, but this is where Graham wants the challenge. He's been working with good players and now he's working with elite players. But I think what Todd Bowley's looked at is the identity of Brighton and how they've become aside from the championship into the Premier League and how they've built a structure and an identity. And I think Chelsea are maybe looking at that because you can be successful at Chelsea under the old ownership and still win the league and get the sack. I mean, that's just the way things were that, you know, Roman Abramovich wasn't really a patient person. But Todd's made this decision, but you can't bring Graham in for eight to 12 months if things don't go right. Listen, if they're fighting relegation and they're fifth from bottom, then that's a totally different scenario. But I don't think Chelsea will be in that position. But it may be a two-transfer window policy that Graham will certainly need to go in maybe next season that you'll probably see the results and, and the way that they want to play. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about the players that he may want to sign or players that he might not have wanted to sign. Um, we'll talk about Obama Young in a minute. Uh, how awkward you've been. You, you you may have been there. I don't know. As a, as a player, you you shift clubs. Uh, you've obviously kind of put your your stake in the ground and said, "No, I definitely want to move." It might not be popular at where you've been. You go to this other club, then the coach gets sacked, and your old coach comes in. I mean, Kukurea is going to be a bit sheepish around the the training park, isn't he? You'd, you'd think. Yeah, I mean, I think I think just the way that it, it, it all ended, I think it was just a little bit sour for. Um, for Mark and, and the way that he left the club. The club gave him a five-year contract. He signed it. You know, he he was progressing really well as Brighton kind of came out. I think the thing he came out and said he wanted to stay, you know, he didn't want to leave. And then all of a sudden when Manchester City started to become involved and when Chelsea started to become involved, that attitude changed very, very quickly. And I think his head was turned very quickly. And I think, you know, Brian were at a stance. I think 50 million was offered. They said no. Um, then they've kind of gone into the 60s with add-ons. So Brighton, at the end of the day, have got a very, very good deal out of it. Um, I think when you come out publicly as a player sometimes and you criticise a manager for the philosophy or the way that you're treated, I mean, like Fafana, for instance, the way that he left Leicester, you know, there was a statement that came out on his behalf having a big, big dig at Brendan Rodgers. Um, but Brendan spoke to the player and it almost seemed like that it wasn't him, it was his representatives. So there was a communication there that if Brendan ended up going to Chelsea, I don't think that would have been a, a breakdown in communication. But I have seen players before say things and a <laughs> manager's gone and, you know, I speak to players all the time and I say the one thing you should never do is just cross paths with the manager and say the wrong thing because you just never know when your paths are going to cross again. And um, But listen, Mark's an excellent player. Chelsea have invested heavily in him. Graham knows how to get the best out of him as a wing-back and as a left-sided centre-half in a three. Um, so I'm sure the conversations would have been had by now that they'd have shake, shaken hands on it um, and, and they'll move on because the professionals are there to do a job um, and, and you can't afford to, to look back too far and sort of still hold grudges or hold things against players and managers. I know it's probably a little bit hard to feel so, too sorry for Pierre Emmerich Obama Young, given the way he he left Arsenal uh, and the and the money that he's obviously been on there at at Barca and now at Chelsea. But you know, 
to be wooed by your former coach in Thomas Tuchel to come to leave Barcelona to come to Chelsea feels like he's going to maybe not quite build the team around you, but you are going to be the centerpiece of his strike force. Uh, you get 60 minutes under him and then he's gone. Uh, that, that's got to be tough as a player. Yeah, I mean, I know I know Aubameyang and, and Tuchel had a really, really close relationship at, at Borussia Dortmund. Um, it's clear to see that the availability of players that were available to Thomas at that time, I think there was an element of trust that he needed because Lukaku had gone, Werner had gone. And I think sometimes when you go out there, sometimes as a manager, you just need to look at a player of an, of an identity to say, can I trust him in the final third? And, you know, Arsenal fans have seen what Aubameyang has done. He's gone to Barcelona. I mean, the age thing is always going to be a concern, but I think for, for, for that situation, it, I think you'd be slightly disappointed because, you, you know, you uproot your whole family to come from Spain back to England. You, you're looking for a, a new start again in the Premier League with Chelsea. You play 60 minutes and then your manager's gone the next day. So, um, but listen, he'll have the chance and opportunity. Chelsea don't really have too many other options around in that centre-forward area. Borja's another one who was on loan last season at Southampton. So he, he's going to still be the number one player. And, and we've seen what Graham did with Danny Welbeck this season at Brighton, an injury-plagued player, a player with experience, not necessarily an abundance of pace. But I think the one thing that I think Chelsea will see is an element of continuity, the way that Brighton played to bring the centre-forward into play in terms of not necessarily doing too much running, but you have quality players around him. And I, and I think Graham will still get a good tune out of Aubameyang. Yeah, I mean, how, it also brings up the, the question of, given that Lukaku's at Inter Milan for a year on loan and they paid, what, $100 million for him, um, is he a type of player you can see Graham Potter being able to work with or do you think Lukaku has done at Chelsea? I, listen, I think the interview that he gave our season, I think, was always going to be an element of a sticking point. But that was under the old regime. That was under the old ownership. So things have changed. I, I did Lazio versus Inter Milan this season for BT Sport, who I work with. And, you know, Lukaku just seems happier in Italy. He seems the style of um, City at, suits his style of play. He's got a great relationship with Tardo Martinez up front. We saw the abundance of goals that he scored in that last season at Inter Milan. Um before he made that move to Chelsea, just never seemed to quite settle. And then once he'd done that interview, there seemed to be a breakdown of communication with the with the manager and the club and above all the fans. But listen, Graham, I mean, I don't know if people know this, he's got two degrees. I think one of them is in psychology. And I think that's one of the areas that, you know, Lewis Dunk, who's at Brighton, I speak to on a regular basis. Um, you know, he said his man management is absolutely superb, Graham Potter. So the way that he talks to players, the way that he communicates with players. And listen, you spend that amount of money on a player, you're going to have a communication with him to say where you're going to stand at. You know, Graham may feel it's best for the club for, for Lukaku to move on and, and be done with it. But if he feels that he can play a place, he'll be given an opportunity and a chance like everybody else, really. But I think he just needs to go to Inter, play this season regularly, and then Chelsea hopefully will get back a player full of confidence. If not, then I'm sure an agreement will be made for him to move back to Inter um, after a season. The uh, the challenge, of course, ahead of Graham tonight is, uh, to, or tonight your time, tomorrow morning hours, is FC Salzburg. They come to Stanford Bridge, so I guess, uh, you know, all eyes will be on him. It's quite nice to be at home. But Salzburg are a team that will cause problems. Uh, I know they play in the Austrian system, but, man, they score goals. They seem to have goals everywhere in that team, and they, they've caused teams problems the last two years in Europe. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be... Um teams that you come at. I mean, you see Ajax last night um, in terms of the way that they, they gave 
Oh, sorry, they gave Liverpool a good game. Um, you saw Tottenham going down to um, Sporting Sporting Lisbon last night in in Portugal. That, that there's that category three of teams that are going to be very very difficult to play against, and and Salzburg are going to be um, in terms of that. I mean, they've got goals going forward. I think there's Benjamin Sesco, Fernando's a player that scored goals this season. Um, I think Okafor is another one that's their top goal scorer. So they've got three players up front that can score goals. Um, and we know Chelsea this season have been a little bit um, defensively unsettled in terms of the personnel um, that he wants to play. Thomas Tuchel, they just didn't seem defensively very, very solid. So this is a difficult game for Graham to come up against because you're still trying to find a balance. You're still trying to find um a team, and with the postponement of the Premier League this weekend in England, um, he's probably just had that little bit more time to, to work with um, the players on the training field. But this is not an easy game at all. This is a very, very tough game for Chelsea, and Chelsea are, are low on confidence. And Graham has to go in there and I feel build them up quite quickly. And you know, I've heard in England that there's an element sometimes of a manager that's not necessarily managed at the highest level with the highest players. And I think there still will be that question mark of Graham Potter. I know he's worked with Ostenstad in um, in Europe in terms of the Europa League qualification, but now you're at a Champions League side that would certainly be expecting to be, not necessarily challenging to be obvious winners, but certainly in with a chance that if you get the right draw and things go right for you, that Chelsea, as we saw a couple of seasons ago, can still win this competition. There are still quality players in that. So there'll be an element of Graham being looked at. But I think Chelsea fans will clearly see tonight, even in a short period of time, that there'll be an implement of a Graham Potter side implemented already. But it's going to be a very, very tough game um, against uh, Salzburg. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be a great test for Graham Potter. Hey, Adam, thanks very much for giving us some time, mate. I really appreciate it. Go well in, uh, and good luck with the calls over the next few days with our old mate, Adam Summerton. Yeah, no, thanks very much, guys. Take care. Cheers. Uh, there we go. Uh, talking football with Adam Virgo, one of the BT Sports commentators and former Brighton player. To get his thoughts on that move for Graham Potter and where to next for the Brighton Football Club. It is 10 away from 10. It's coming up five away from ten, and uh, we've got uh, some Champions League games kicking off tomorrow morning, really early. AC Milan take on Dinamo Zagreb. That game is at quarter to five. AC Milan, as you'd expect to be favourites, a dollar twenty-five. Dinamo eleven dollars. The draw at five fifty. Of course, Dinamo did turn over Chelsea last week, so that should not be forgotten. Also, Shakhtar Donetsk are at home against Celtic. Celtic are short favourites there, uh, really at two dollars ten. Consider. Shakhtar beat Leipzig 4-1 in Germany last week, so might be some good money there on Shakhtar at 3.20 or the draw at 3.50 for me. Man City too good for Dortmund, $1.17. It is Erling Haaland, of course, up against his old team. Uh, Dortmund are paying 13s and the draw is at 7s. Graham Potter to get a win in his first game in charge of Chelsea. They are $1.28 favourites to beat Salzburg, who are paying 9s. The draw, five fifty there, and that Salzburg side are not the worst running around either. Uh, they uh, certainly pushed uh, AC Milan all the way when those two met. And then potentially a Kiwi. A potentially a Kiwi. And Matt Garbett, he is at, uh, sorry, Marco Stamanich, he is at FC Copenhagen. And FC Copenhagen hosts Sevilla tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. They are 3.50 outsiders. Sevilla 2.10 favourites to draw 3.25. But Sevilla have been tanking it this season. So back to Kiwi.